0: Uh, most of the people who are coming will probably have read that, and it's not really the thrust of what I want to get out today anyway. So I'll go ahead and play some intro music and remind everybody that, of course, today is August sixteenth, two 2023, is that current year. And this is the Surreal Politics member chat. We do this every Wednesday at 9.30 p.m. Eastern. And, uh, you know, you know that because you're a member. You paid already. 2023 being a current year good to be with all of you today um we've got some new members who signed up i had sent out an email i guess it was last week with uh with a promotional code and so i know some new people signed up we have people who are in the text chat there's some uh angry dad is apparently having some audio issues um let's see here hatting made it in very good good to be with you hatting Band animal money penny Pat Soprano, and Dan, um, app. Now, um, if Angry Dad isn't able to hear me, then my instructions to him will be of little utility, indeed. I suppose. Um, uh, so, uh, Angry Dad, if you click the get this thing out of my way, uh, the gear at the bottom. You can change your audio device. Okay. Um, I don't know. Unfortunately, you know, let me just explain to you one of my shortcomings here, a, a slight, you know, tech point. I, I'm one of the stupidest things, the worst things I do is I assume that everybody's on a PC. I do everything on the computer. You know, the, the smartphone, you know, I have a, I have a pretty good smartphone, but my thinking of it is like, this is what I use in emergencies or something like that. Like, what, what do you mean I'm not in front of a computer? Um, and so, unfortunately, I actually don't know off the top of my head intimately what this looks like on your smartphone. And I'm very sorry about that. I should, I should improve that. Um, so, I don't know if you're on a smartphone or if you're on a computer, but if you are on a computer, you might see this. It um, be down at the bottom right. You see a gear, you see a camera, and you see a microphone. And if you click the gear, then you can change your, uh, then you can change your audio device. And so, you watch on Android Moneypenny. Um, Okay, so you guys, uh, you very helpful people who are so supportive of your humble correspondent, I will ask you to uh, be of what assistance you can to Angry Dad and straighten us out. And then I will do a little reading, shall we? So I'm also going to point out, I'm going to let you know now, um, before I even get into what we're doing, I'm going to give you a content warning, okay? I wrote something last night that uh, is not usually what I do on Surreal Politics, I am going to read that today, and when I do I'm going to give you a content warning because it it contains content that wouldn't usually air in this format but i I want to get that published and I want to do the read and I want to attach that to the uh, to the publication and so we're going to do that and you can uh, you can plug your ears if uh, if you're very offended so um When I open up with a particular theme for the people who are new to the chat, you know, nobody's under any obligation to stick to that theme. But I try to open things up with uh, something like what I'm about to read to you now. Um, Oliver Anthony's viral sensation, Rich Men North of Richmond, has been on the tip of every tongue lately, and mine is no exception. Um, While I see this as largely a positive thing, I am more than a little concerned about discussion that has written on the subject of socioeconomic class. Class warfare is not a good thing. Human beings are not born with equal capacities to do things which are valued in the marketplace. And since inequality is man's natural state, efforts to correct what is in no need of correction near universally end up deforming and destroying people and bringing none of the happiness such efforts promise. Let us for a moment set aside the reality that some people, perhaps a great many these days, are enriched unjustly. Okay? We may consider this obvious, and we may furthermore say it is a pervasive problem. The nature of that problem, however, is the means by which these people become enriched and has nothing uh, to say about enrichment as such. Limiting for the moment our focus to people who earn their fortunes honestly, there is only one way to do this fundamentally, and that is to provide a unique, or valu- a unique and valuable, I should say, product or service which others have proven, uh, not proven capable of providing an equal or greater measure. Whether this is by reducing production costs or increasing quality or coming up with something entirely new, the key here is that they have done something unique that others are not doing, and that is the reason that funds have flowed to them in such a unique fashion. This is a thing that we uh, ought not be very upset about. When a society is endowed with capable people, the whole society benefits from this. We see all over the world societies which are not so endowed. We call these countries third world countries, and we would not want to emulate them at all. What we should do, however, is make sure that there is a common culture between all elements of society. That has not been done in America, and we are witnessing the consequences of this every day, and they are dire indeed. In Charles Murray's 2012 book, Coming Apart, he warned of a cognitive elite becoming so distant from the rest of the population that they had no concept of how the average person lives. Without this knowledge, the disproportionate power these people wield is wielded without any recognition of the harm they may do to those who are not endowed with their capacities, and this results in class division and hostility. It is a lie, of course, that diversity is our strength. What makes a country strong is unity, While differences among individuals in society can certainly make life interesting, once those differences become grouped into factions, conflicts of interest emerge. Those conflicts of interest result in the most bitter political battles wherein one side fears and hates the other. And politics takes on an adversarial character wherein each side believes the world will end or something approximating that outcome should the other side end up in control. If every election takes on the character of a life or death struggle, then the nation ends up at war with itself every couple of years or so. Such divisions are seized upon both by foreign interests abroad and by subversive opportunists at home. That has to be fixed or the country falls apart. We're witnessing that every day. The rich men north of Richmond are not to be scorned for the fact of being rich. That is not the problem with the rich men north of Richmond. They are to be scorned because the things they have done with those riches are destructive of society, and those destructive acts are worth plenty more than our scorn. And so let's see um, how things are going over here. Um, Angry Dead, has he uh, Okay, so he hasn't been able to straighten it out. Uh, there's a video box, sir. There's a video box, box above the chat will allow you. Will allow you to watch, slash listen. I think so, right? There's like that thing is there, right? Let me just double check. Yeah, let's try this real quick. Yeah, yeah. So that's working. And so if you want – if anybody is having trouble joining the chat or, like, listening, getting the audio, you can just tell them, hit the play button on the video box above the chat, and you can watch along, um, but it will not obviously allow you to participate. And that's a sad thing indeed because I'd love to hear from you, especially our new members. And so, um, very good. And so, with that in mind, now I mentioned that I published, I I wrote this other thing. It actually hasn't been published yet, and so I'm going to uh, I'm going to publish that probably after the show today. And so, I'm just going to give you a content warning. This contains the S word, and this contains mentions of Jewish people, and we usually try to avoid that on surreal politics for a variety of reasons. Um, but uh, this is really good. I think it's uh, I think it's very worth uh, reading here. And maybe you know what I should actually do first. Here's what I'll do before I even do that. So what I'm the the title of this is National Review versus Oliver Anthony. And I'm replying to something that happened over at the National Review, as the title implies. And so you've heard me talk about Oliver Anthony. We just did it here. I've done it on another episode. And um Uh, This was sent to me. Thank you, Pat, for sending this over to me. And it's been the subject of some conversation that the tone deaf idiots over at the National Review are trying to basically sabotage Republicans and conservatism by being tone deaf idiots. And uh, so Mark Antonio Wright, he is the executive editor over at National Review. And if you don't know, I think most of you probably do. The National Review was founded by a guy by the name of William F. Buckley Jr. Um, I think this happened back in. I, it's. Uh, I read his, I read William F. Buckley's book. God and at Yale was his first book. I read that when I didn't have internet access. I believe that he started, and that was published in like 1950 something. And uh, sometime after that, they started the National Review. And so the National Review has sort of been like a, cons- a staple of conservative media for a very long time. And I guess like as it has become, I don't know, sort of a bastardized libertarianism. National Review has just gotten worse and worse and worse over the years. And so. Mark Antonio Wright, he describes, this is Oliver Anthony's Fuzzy Lament, and this was published August 14th at National Review. Last week, Oliver Anthony's song, Rich Men North of Richmond, went supernova in a world full of Nashville pop country sludge. Anthony sings with an authentic passion, and many people were instantly taken with his raw and raspy voice. In just the time that you may have been on summer vacation, he came out of nowhere, going from complete unknown to musical celebrity as the song spread virally across YouTube and Twitter. That's a great American story, but I don't understand the adulation on the right for this song's message. Anthony sings, I've been selling my soul, working all day, overtime hours for bullshit pay, so I can sit out here and waste my life away, drag back home and wash my tr- drown my troubles away. My brother in Christ, says uh, Mark Antonio Wright. You live in the United States of America in 2023. If you are a fit, able-bodied man and you're working overtime hours for bullshit pay, you need to find a new job. There's plenty of them out there, jobs that don't require a college degree, that offer good pay, especially in this tight labor market, and great benefits, especially if you're willing to get your hands dirty by doing something like joining the Navy, turning wrenches, fixing pumps, laying pipes or a hundred other jobs through which American men can still make a great living. If you're the type of guy who's willing to show up on time every time, work hard while you're on the clock, and learn hard skills, there's a good-paying job out there for you. Go find it. And if you go home and spend all night drowning your troubles away, either on TikTok or by drinking too much, my friend, that's your fault, not Washington's. Not that Washington is helping anyway, it's not, but when we master our, when we waste our lives, I should say, it's still our own fault. Young men are putting themselves six feet under the ground, goes the lyric, because all this damn country does is keep on kicking them down. The tragedy of young men killing themselves through drink or drugs, the catastrophe of deaths of despair, is a crisis of our own making. The federal government in Washington, Anthony's Rich Men North of Richmond, has had a destructive role in our society. But Washington is not the cause of our national sickness. It's a symptom. We as citizens, as men, still hold it in our power to ignore the corrosive effects of our politics and the popular culture and get on with living the good life. Get a job, get married, raise your kids upright, get involved with your church, read good books, teach your boys to hunt, and be present in the lives of your family and friends. Help your neighbors. Returning to the lyrics, it's a damn shame what the world's gotten to for people like me and people like you. Wish I could just wake up and it not be true, but it is, oh it is. Yes, it's a damn shame what the world's gotten to, but we can fix it. We don't have to just dream about it. Indeed, if we want to, we can fix it on our own, even if Washington is standing in our way or looking down its nose at us. I don't expect Oliver Anthony or any singer-songwriter to put a fully formed philosophy into a three-minute song, and I don't need to agree with its message to enjoy it. There's always room for Etta James to sing the blues. Steve Miller Band's "The Joker" is a masterpiece, even if I've done living that particular kind of life. And Woody Guthrie is um, is a genius, even if his politics are juvenile and absurd. I wish Anthony the best, and I'll give his next single a listen. But he should consider singing about what makes America a great land—a land of opportunity, not of guaranteed success. It's a land that's made for you and me. So that's Mark Antonio Wright over at National Review. And I wrote a piece in response to this. And uh and that is titled National Review versus Oliver Anthony. This is unpublished. Again, gonna mention that there's a content warning here. I don't think any of you are going to mind, but now you've heard it. For those in the know, what am I clipping? Is my like let me do this. Let's turn that down a little bit. What's always something. Anyway, so. For those in the know, it would be repetitive to say that I try my best to be a good Republican. With rapacious left wing predators fully in control of the apparatus, it is best we not work to undermine one another. Pity that those who fancy themselves our betters never seem to learn this lesson. For this reason, I'm inclined to give all the leeway in the world to conservatives who embody the warnings of Charles Murray's 2012 book, Coming Apart. Their elitist bent and undisguised contempt for Republican primary voters is a comparatively smaller problem than the pathologies which attend to Democrat rule, namely open borders, drag queen story hour or this Ukraine fiasco. Not that our more prominent Republican friends have done much to stop any of this. But today I read something in the National Review that so angered me I felt compelled to spill some ink. Executive editor Mark Antonio Wright describes Oliver Anthony's "Rich Men North of Richmond as a, quote, fuzzy lament and goes on to repeat some very familiar platitudes about America being the land of opportunity. Like many conservatives, he commits a familiar error, if not a malicious choice to deceive, by acting as though he believes the options unique to Americans are somehow lost on Mr. Anthony. Of this, I have my doubts. Not every musician is necessarily very well read nor studied in the dismal science of economics, but I have heard Mr. Anthony described as an off-grid farmer. Now, doubtless men like Mr. Wright think the term farmer to be synonymous with the term idiot, but to be a farmer of any sort and much more so to be one absent the conveniences of a connected society is a task not only demanding of one's willingness to sweat, but also one imposing tremendous technical burdens and requiring requiring a great deal of planning. In short, it requires intellect. Mr. Anthony's lyrics are not the idle musings of a drunkard. They are a keen observation of what other people are experiencing, even if not a letter-for-letter description of actual affairs. Good art rarely is. Degenerate art, like pornography, discards all the subtlety and imagination that once defined this practice. Good art does not so much depict actual events as it sheds light upon them. It is by no means so fictional as what one might read in the New York Times, but it conveys a feeling about the events described and relies necessarily, if foolishly, on journalists and historians to get the facts right. It has been observed elsewhere, notably that nobody has to be, quote, on the streets with nothing to eat in America, precisely because we have a system that allows, quote, the obese milk and welfare. One who wishes to be 5'3", 300 pounds can easily find himself stocked, uh, fully stocked on taxpayer finance bags of fudge rounds. Any American who wants that life is welcome to it, and all of the suffering that comes with it Mr. Anthony has become so disgusted by this that he does not want to share an electrical outlet with that society. He is far from alone in this, and there are those less inclined to unplug who are willing to take far more drastic measures than to put up some solar panels and go live in the woods. Others had mocked the idea of poor and working people complaining about taxes, as goes the familiar conservative refrain that the rich pay most taxes. Well, as a matter of fact, precisely, that's sort of exactly the problem. The rich men north of Richmond are paying for things which are compulsory to the recipient and destructive of the society. And the people these programs are harming do not want them at any price. You can keep your goddamn fudge rounds. We would sooner be taxed to no end than ha- and have you monsters stop ruining our country than have it all handed to us for free while you play Demolition Derby with the Ship of State. Mr. Wright, he clearly sees things differently, you might have guessed. Well-versed in the language of the rich men north of Richmond, he has some rather straightforward advice for those who feel they've been working overtime hours for bullshit pay. If you guessed, get a new job was his suggestion, but then thought to yourself, well, that's way too simple. Surely it must be something more clever than this to have been penned by the executive editor on the pages of a once prestigious publication like the National Review. While well, I regret to say that your initial instinct was correct. Supposed conservatives like Mr. Wright have become so comfortable in their positions that they simply blurt things like this out with no concept of how it is received by anyone outside of the office. One imagines Mr. Wright stopped by a bar on his way home and shared a drink with some Democrat friend, doubtless from the top shelf. Perhaps the Democrat friend would say to him something along the lines of, Well, I'm not usually in favor of telling people to work, but when you told that white man where to shove it, I really enjoyed that. One imagines Mr. Wright, um, I'm sorry... Having now gotten the full range of valuable opinion from Republicans and Democrats of the upper crust, he feels now secure in his virtue and gets in his car, secure in the knowledge that he won't be bothered by the police on his way home from the bar. In fairness to Mr. Wright, that's just how I imagine him. It's not necessarily accurate. And if Mr. Wright thinks this image unfair, then he might do well to think about how he imagines others and then commits those imaginations to writing for the world to see. And you might also guess that Mr. Wright draws some very vivid imagery from Mr. Anthony's line about drag back home and wash my troubles away, namely that of a loser whose dissatisfaction with life stems from his alcohol abuse and not the other way around. You know, it might be possible that people are not miserable because they're getting wasted, but they're getting wasted because they're miserable. I wonder if Mr. Wright ever thinks of that. Something tells me he does not. If you keep on abusing those people, if you keep on disregarding their problems, if you keep on mocking them when they complain, it won't matter how much you pay them. They will still consider it bullshit. And you know what? They'll be absolutely right. It won't matter what they do for a living or how many hours they work. They will consider their work unsatisfying because they consider, with all propriety, life unsatisfying. One does not toil for money. One toils for satisfaction. And if it is not forthcoming, then work loses all of its meaning, and you cannot print enough dollars to fix that. When this is how conservatives portray themselves to the world, especially at a moment such as this one, Donald Trump's 2020 election defeat almost begins to look plausible. Why would anybody want someone who informs themselves from the pages of the National Review to run their country? Is there anything conceivably less desirable than that? Well, sure, Democrats, of course, but that argument is hardly compelling when the alternative to Democrats is to be mocked and ridiculed by people who do so staggeringly little to slow the rot that Democrats bring. Some would sooner hasten that process. Just let the Democrats wreck it and maybe we can start all over again after everything falls apart. Well, you know, that's an idea that has gained traction outside of the radical right fringe with frightening rapidity, actually. And it is people like Mr. Wright, not men who, like me, made our stand in Charlottesville, Virginia in 2017, who are spreading that lethally dangerous idea. So on the off chance one of Mr. Wright's ilk might deign to stoop so low as to gauge the opinions of his perceived inferiors, whom I might add these words demonstrate possess talent far superior to theirs, I'll offer them a bit of insight on the moment they just forfeited to the party of trans youth. This Klaus Schwab idea that you will owe nothing and you will like it is not going to fly. And while conservatives uniformly will join in the chorus on that, they just as uniformly fail to understand why. It has nothing to do with the satisfaction of work or the land of opportunity or capitalism or the Constitution or any of the other empty, stale, contemptible, canned responses we hear from supposed conservatives who fancy themselves writers. Writers whom, one might predict, are soon to be replaced by AI applications with greater talent and creativity than Mr. Wright and his kind. That would no doubt be an upgrade Because the AI would at least better understand the likes of Bill Buckley than those who are currently ruining his once prestigious publication. Or maybe this has already happened. You know, maybe Mr. Wright will issue a retraction and blame chat GPT for this sorry mess. I'd certainly believe that. But what Richmond North of Richmond describes is the same thing Democrats condemned as an anti-Semitic conspiracy theory when Donald Trump portrayed it on the 2016 campaign trail, namely an elite upper class using the poor to cripple the middle class. That's the fuzzy lament, and it is coming into greater focus as the arrogance of talentless puppets of the apparatus like Mr. Wright, lay waste to the fiction that we live in a meritocracy. More specifically, a disproportionately Jewish elite no longer deserving of that description as the comfort of their positions render them decadent and incompetent and disconnected from the people they deem themselves uniquely fit to rule. This self-styled elite, recognizing their own unfitness for purpose, Fending off competition from the middle class by knocking rungs off the ladder of upward mobility, actively sabotaging superior talent, and in the most contemptible, diabolical, cynical plot one could possibly hope to conjure, using ethnicity as a weapon to prevent such talent from being born in the future, and then having the nerve to call the people who noticed this racist. Yeah. What is more, widely understood by the day, but unspoken anywhere, but in those darkest recesses of the Internet, those much-dreaded free speech platforms not owned by Elon Musk, is that the purpose of the Democrat open borders madness and the feeble Republican response thereto is far more nefarious than a mere cynical plot to get votes for one party in greater proportion to the other. It is born of a recognition of the same genetic realities our eugenics programs in the United States used to take into account, and for which Adolf Hitler is now maligned by history as the most evil man on record for copying. Talent is largely a genetic phenomenon. It has much less to do with how hard you work than in how prudent your parents were in selecting a mate. This abolition of all standards is being imposed on the middle and lower classes by the rich men north of Richmond to end that prudence. Flooding with the absolute worst of Central and South America, and increasingly from such far-off cesspools as Africa, a country once populated by the absolute best that Europe had to offer, demeaning that European population, forcing them to subsidize the breeding of those invited invaders, destroying their lives if they show any awareness or skepticism of that sick genocidal plot, rewarding them with wealth and power if they support it. And as if all of that were not bad enough, then shifting to bring in selected top recruits from India and Asia to quietly push out and replace those white dupes who had just sold their race out for a couple of bucks. Much fuss has been made of late that Oliver Anthony had a YouTube playlist titled Things That Make Your Noggin Bigger, among which were videos about testosterone and dancing Israelis. One does not suspect a man who watches videos of dancing Israelis will do well in the music industry for very long. Those who run it are likely in full panic mode, trying to figure out what to do in response to this. Normally, they crush these people before they have a chance to gain much of a social media following, but this viral sensation seems to have happened too quickly to fully vet him. In due course, he'll surely be asked to apologize. Too soon to say what his answer will be, but one suspects a man so disgusted by maternity that he disconnected from its electrical grid will prove more difficult to pressure than the likes of Tucker Carlson, and he was by no means a total pushover. Mr. Wright ought to hope he ought to get on his knees every night and pray that those for whom this fuzzy lament comes into focus drag back home and wash their troubles away. Because the alternative to this is they join organizations like Patriot Front or the Active Clubs. They sober up, get fit, and, well, I don't want a Fed post, but you get the idea. This state of affairs, though lamented absent the focus meeting Mr. Wright's decidedly non-artistic standards, is clear as day and completely intolerable to most people right now. The rich men north of Richmond, namely Jews and their Gentile dupes, are not pushing around a bunch of Nazis with tiki torches anymore. They are discrediting the entire legal system by abusing the President of the United States and his supporters and drugging and mutilating the children of regular working people. They are not doing any of this in secret. They are holding press conferences about it and wagging their fingers at anyone who would be so immoral as to question the wisdom or virtue of their behavior. If there is anything to lament about the fuzziness of Mr. Anthony's ballad, it is that too few understand who the rich men north of Richmond are or why they are ruining our society. This is a problem that plagues much of our discourse, you might have noticed. This damn country ain't kicking them down so much as a handful of parasites keep doing precisely this to that very country. There is nothing inherent to wealth or status that makes a man want to cut off a child's genitals or destroy his country with immigration, much less to look out for minors on an island somewhere. Class warfare is a communist tactic to destabilize a nation, and it seems to be working out quite well for them, all things considered. Knowing that the body cannot survive without the brain and that the body, being of greater mass, will win out in such a conflict, Jews stoke class warfare to displace Gentile elites. Then, Jews, like the Lancet liver fluke, a brain parasite, simply step in to fill the void. They loot what remains and then they move on to the next country, decrying their old dumping ground as a hotbed of inexplicable anti Semitism. I don't know why they persecute me so. While even having witnessed the awesome powers of internet censorship, perhaps in greater measure than any other man alive, I can tell you quite plainly that such a state of affairs will not long persist. They might outlive me, but my words will outlive them. And so, now that I have gotten through all of that, I am looking forward to, uh, to hearing from some of you. Who, uh, who cares to chime in, folks? Oh, thank you. Um, So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, those of you who are new here, you might notice that there's like a a microphone on your on your screen or or on your in your interface, whether you're on the computer or whatever. Um, And if you hit that microphone, then there will be a line through the microphone, which will mean that to hit that line microphone, then then that would uh, uh, mute your mic. You would be unmuted. I think crash is now unmuted. And I'd like to hear from you, sir.
1: Uh, yeah, um, I have talked before uh, in our last one. So if if you wanted to get any of the new people in here, that would be fine. First,
0: they're but figuring out their microphones. Go ahead, um, pal. What's up?
1: Okay. Well, um, I was talking to some some guys about some stuff, and and we're all uh, we're all listeners, and um, you know, um, we were kind of wondering. Uh, it, it's pretty clear that 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 you believe that the that the most prudent course of action. With an existing system is to reform it um, rather than than tear it down. I, I think you've addressed this quite a bit lately. Yes. Um, do you think that there is any um, any valid scenario where where a revolutionary change would be um, would be best or feasible or or whatever? I mean, I, I kind of perceive you as a as a uh, as a radical, as a revo- uh, kind of a revolutionary type of thinker who maybe has had time to, uh, because of some of your previous experiences, reflect on that a little bit. And I'd just like to get your thoughts on it, you know, like your thought process on that. So
0: the, um, it, my thinking on that is um, that... Hang on a second. You guys can hear me, right? You guys can hear me right now? Okay. Okay. So um, my thinking on that is that, for one, let's, let, me, let me try to address it this way. Let's just say for the sake of argument that the way to do this is to collapse the system and bring about revolutionary change, say for the sake of argument that is the case. Well, step number one is to say that it's not, okay? So, like, that's going to involve deception, and, and step number one would be deny it. You must deny it. You can't say that that's what you're doing for a whole bunch of reasons. The first one being the government will stop you. The government will crush you. Um, the second being if you are seen by the people of the country as being responsible for the chaos that, that causes them to suffer— that, that they are not going to accept your rule later, okay? So if I believed that the way to do this was to bring down the system and and have revolutionary change, the first thing I would do is I would deny that, okay? Now, it, it just so happens to be the case that I am not of that view, and, and so with that dealt with, I, I will address my sincere view of it, which is that it, the, the, I do not have any reason to believe that if the system were to crash tomorrow say that this would accrue benefit to us i, I think that there's a bunch of really powerful left wing fanatics who are trying to bring about the collapse of this government and that and that they're making remarkable success at it and so that that first that's the first thing that tells me that i should not help those people so if those people want to bring a collapse to the government then then they're obviously trying to do something nefarious and for me to help them seems, seems perilous indeed. So that's just a clue. It doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, that revolutionary change is not in order, but that's a serious clue to me that at least this idea that, you know, just bringing a collapse to the system is misguided. Now, you know, when you talk about revolutionary change, there's other ways to conceive of that. You know, it's not just mere accelerationism. It's not just, you know, waiting for the system to collapse on the basis of the idea that, you know, you'll step in to fill the power vacuum. There's, you know, more direct and more intentional ways of replacing a government, say. But I don't think that that is feasible because that requires organization. And we clearly do not, nobody that I know anything about has anything approaching the organizational capacity to do something like that. Um, uh, In my experience, it's difficult enough to get people to use cryptocurrency and, and, to, and to sign up for a ProtonMail account, okay? So, like, I communicate with people, you know, people send me emails on Gmail and stuff. And I'm like, well, you know, that's not, that's not revolutionary activity, okay? You're giving all your information to Google. And so, like, there's, unless things were to change, you would still be working with a gradual reformation, just not with the government. You'd have to gradually reform the movement you're referring to, okay? So, there's, there's, that is one thing. Um, And so since that's not presently viable and there's going to have to be some sort of gradual change, you know, it seems to me that um, participating in the system such as it is, is a way to uh, is is a way to extend some hope of uh, making meaningful progress. And I and and part of the reason that I do believe that is because you see things like I mentioned about when um, Oliver Anthony had this. Uh, had this concert in North Carolina, okay? So on a recent episode, I, I talked about, I titled it Country versus Country, and I was like, well, you know, if you listen to country music, like it's always universally patriotic. The idea that a guy would say, this damn country keeps on kicking them down, and that the audience would scream it in an applause is like a pretty foreign concept in country music. And so, you know, these people are, you know, sort of becoming aware that, you know, our politics have turned against them and they're really upset about it and they want to change it. Well, you know, trying to help those people seems like not only a, a good idea, it seems like the honorable thing to do, right? Like those people are those are good people. They want to make political changes. They're not trying to overthrow their government. They 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 don't want to they don't want to turn the country into chaos and a dangerous place for their children to live. And so, you know, it seems to me that those are all You know, reasons to try to participate in the political system, but here's another reason to participate in the political system, because you are going to, you know, make uh, acquaintances with people who you are not currently acquaintances with. You're going to meet politically interested people, some of them who have money and some of whom have power. And if it turns out that your efforts to make political changes turn out to be completely fruitless. Um, the connections that you make along the way most certainly will not um, bear that quality. They, they will actually be meaningful, helpful, useful things, no matter what it is that you wish to accomplish after that. So, you know, if and I and by the way, I should state, I understand that, Going into a Republican Party meeting is actually not going to be for everybody. If I've said it before, there's new people here, so pardon me if some of the stuff I do is a little bit repetitive, okay? But like if I went to the local I live in Manchester, New Hampshire, if I went to the local Republican Party meeting and I was like, Hello, hello, fellas, my name's Christopher Cantwell, and I'm here to help you win a popularity contest. Like even the people who are there who agree with me, they'd be like, "Get out of here! You're gonna get us all busted." Okay, like they would not want that. So I understand that it's not going to be for everybody. If you've if you've been out, you know, Fed posting and doing things that are you know not conducive to good politics, then you know maybe you can't go show up at a Republican Party meeting. But you know, don't counter signal people who do, and for people who are able to do that. You know, I, I think that uh, I think that that's a that's a that's a thing that they can do to make business connections, that's a thing that they can do to make political connections. And if it comes down to some unforeseeable consequence where, you know, everything has gone completely mad max, well like part you know, the the reason that Antifa is able to run around committing crimes in on camera in broad daylight in front of law enforcement is because they have political support. Like they have people in power who support what they're doing. And and so like they don't get prosecuted. They can go around running around, you know, murdering people and committing arson, and they don't go to prison because they have political support. And so, you know, if you want to be able to get away with crimes, you might want to go, like, make some friends in the government or something first, because that seems to be, you know, the way that Antifa does it. And, you know, I hope that none of none of you would ever be, you know, engaged in such activity. But if you were, you know, it would probably be very helpful if you had some friends that were, like, in one of the two major political parties and had conduits of influence to people who could decide whether or not you got prosecuted and so those are a number though not um uh, that is by no means an exhaustive list of uh, my thoughts on what you've said there
1: i think that was an excellent um i mean i hate to make you go over things because you know you've probably gone over all of this at, at various times before but um yeah i mean just to clarify and. Um, you know the the revolutionary change does not necessarily imply collapse this bitch as fast as you. Can. Oh, I'm sorry for the be um, collapse the system as fast as you can. And, and when we're talking theoretically here. I'm not encouraging anything. But um, also uh, just just real quick, I did call into the Monday show, and I don't know why it sounded like I was under four blankets, but uh, I apologize for that. And uh, no problem. I'll let friend. somebody else talk.
0: Right on. Uh, anybody else uh, care to chime in?
2: Yeah, um, Chris, so um, you're saying that uh, you, you think that the left wants to collapse the system. They're doing this on purpose, and therefore um, uh, we need to resist a collapse. Well, I mean, how do you know that it's— Hey, Chris, like, can you hear me?
0: Um, I, the person who just chimed in, who asked if I can hear them, I can hear you. Um was that, was that Pat, I think, Matt's yes. speaking in this moment, and I just, he was already going when you asked if I could hear you. So I want to let him finish, and then I'll come to you, Pat.
2: Um, yeah, for sure. I, I, can't, I can't hear him, but yeah. Oh, totally okay. Hang on, I I can, hang on a second. I think I can.
0: Hang on a second. I think you can't hear him. I think I know why that is. I'm going to fix that right now. And go ahead, Matt, and I think, um, I think that uh, you will be able to hear him now.
2: Okay, so... Um, you seem to think that whoever's in charge of America, whether it's the Democrats or whether it's people with a certain type of nose or whatever, that, that they're trying to collapse the system and therefore we need to resist the collapse or whatever. Um, well, I, I think what I've observed is that maybe Russia also has an incentive to, I don't know if they want America to collapse, but you know, I remember, you know, back in 2012, um, I would watch RT, and one thing I noticed was that RT actually supports many different things. Like, I would watch, you know, um, Adam Kokesh on RT, for example, who's obviously a libertarian, and then I, I would click on another link for RT, and it would be this guy who's like a regular leftist socialist talking about, you know, the things that the left was talking about back then. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, we see Russia supporting the far right because that's what where we have our ear to the ground. But what do you think about the idea that Russia supports the far right and the far left in America?
0: So I am, um, <clears throat> let me, uh, how do I wanna approach this? So I have no doubt in my mind ...that a certain amount of support is offered by Russia to, say, the far right. I I, I believe that that's obviously true. And because I believe that that's true, um, I am inclined to think that um, Russia is attempting to do a good thing by that. Now, there's an argument to be made that what Russia wants to do is destabilize our politics. Okay, okay. And, okay... I haven't seen the evidence that, that, like, I understand that RT has basically carried what could be described as dissident voices from America, okay? Um, I am, uh, as you know, I'm very well aware of Adam Kokesh, and he was featured on RT for a period of time. Um, That was a long time ago, of course. But I have not seen the evidence that, say, like, Antifa today is being supported by by the Russian Federation. I have not seen that evidence. Some people have posited that as as what they think is going on but i think that there's evidence that russia is currently making efforts to um gain favor with the right and i haven't seen the evidence that they're that they're doing the same thing with the left or or anything comparable um and so i guess other than the fact that they have carried dissident voices that are of are of a libertarian or left wing bent uh, i don't i don't see other evidence that they're, that they're helping the other side, and since I do believe that there's evidence that they're helping our side, and and there's a there's a lack of evidence that they are helping the other side. That's you know largely what leads me to believe that they're trying to do the right thing.
2: Right. Well, I've also I, I watched Jackson Hinkle for a while, and um, I, I think if I recall correctly, this guy was very clearly saying that he's a communist. I mean, it, it seems like. The only thing all the the, you know, Russian TV outlets have in common is that they support Russia. But um, but, you know, I think that we need to avoid this thing of like we're either 100 percent pro-Russia or 100 percent against Russia. You know, I mean, I've I've seen this thing or actually I was reading a book by a German painter and it was a book about struggling. And so in the book about struggling, he was basically talking about how in World War I, um, you know, Germany was allied with Austria-Hungary, and, you know, they were doing this because they had sympathy for the, the Germanic Austrians, but, but the German painter guy pointed out that actually, meanwhile, the the and beforehand, the Austro-Hungarian Empire had been trying to de-Germanize Austria, make it more whatever, Hungarian or Slavic or whatever. But I, I think whatever was going on in that, my point is that um, I think that alliances need to be give and take. And so while we may, you know, support one side or the other in the Ukraine Russia conflict i also think it's good to you know maintain the flexibility so that we would be ready to back out of such an alliance if need
0: be well um so let's um let me pick that apart a little bit i am not in um i don't have any formal alliance with the russian federation i'll I'll state that you know up front i i don't have um any type of um there's no agreement between me and Vladimir Putin, say, uh, and so you know if I turn on the television one day and see something that I don't particularly care for, and I and I feel like that outweighs um, whatever warm feelings I may have towards Russia, then I'll just go on Telegram and I'll be like, screw these guys. And so I think that you know the I the, what you're saying about being able to back out of it, sure, you know, I I, I cannot foresee a circumstance where. I um, where I think it's good for the United States to be involved in a proxy war with Russia. And I don't and I don't foresee a circumstance where I could imaginably favor anything to do with Vladimir Zelensky. And so, you know, I, I don't think that I need to be able to, say, switch sides in my you know rhetorical um, musings about the conflict. Um, and so if I were to find out that, you know, Vladimir Putin um, was uh, sending lots of Bitcoin to the Reds or something, you know then i'd be like oh well you know that's that's kind of disreputable and you know i'd have to reevaluate my my personal opinion about vladimir putin um but um you know i don't i don't think that we're in a position presently uh to be like entangled with a foreign power and by the way if we were we certainly wouldn't want to say so <laughs> uh because that would be very dangerous indeed um that would be that would be very dangerous and so Um, But, you know, in in any case, regardless of the fact that one should not state such a thing, I can state affirmatively that I don't have any such entanglement and that um, I would be um, skeptical in the extreme legal implications aside of any such entanglement. You know, Um, you know, but when you're dealing with people in Russia, I think that part of the part of the thing that attends to dealing with Russians is that if they are politically interested, that they're not necessarily there's not there's not a meaningful distinction between public and private sector. I mean, that was kind of like, that was kind of the, that was kind of the, um, the entire thrust behind the prosecution of Maria Butina. Okay. So I had her on the show a while back. Some of you probably heard that. Um, we did not get into um, her prosecution because frankly, I, I kind of expected her not to tell me the truth about it. If I'm entirely honest with you, and I don't want to, I don't don't publish that publicly. I don't want to say anything bad about her, but like, you know, if she, you know, if, if she's a spy, it's her job to lie to me. So like, if she's being prosecuted for espionage or something like it's stupid for me to bring her on a show and be like, so you want to commit, you want to confess to espionage? You would just be stupid. Okay. But you know, if you looked at the case, the, the details of the case, I actually listened to this thing. Um, it escapes me. I think it's linked in the show notes for that episode. Um, I listened to this podcast um, and she, that's what I did for, for show prep. And, you know, she got involved with these different guys, and she was basically going to, like, Republican Party meetings, and she was talking to this, this guy who was sort of a benefactor to hers, and he has, you know, ties to the Russian government. Say he was a senator, and then he's been in different roles in the government. And, um, you know, because she has connections to this guy, they're saying, well, you're acting on behalf of the Russian Federation. And she's saying, well, no, like, I'm not receiving a government paycheck. I'm not an employee of the Russian Federation. I'm a Russian citizen who's over here talking to people because I'm trying to avoid a war and i'm like well that seems like a downright reasonable thing for a person to do and well the problem that you run into is that i don't there's not the same and i don't i don't think we really have it here either by the way but like you know we we try to create in the united states we have this bifurcation between public and private sector that does not does not exist everywhere the way that we envision it here And I think that that's the case in Russia. So, you know, if you're a Russian citizen, you come over to the United States, you're getting interested in politics, like the FSB is going to talk to you. And the FSB did talk to her. They like tried to hire her and she declined the job apparently. Um, But, you know, where the public and private sector end is not really such a clear defined line um, in Russia as as we perceive it here in any case. And so, you know, I don't think that I, I think that there's reason to treat with skepticism, Anything that would that could be described as an entanglement, I, I would say that that is, I would go so far as to describe that as obvious, and I think uh, if that's what you're getting at, then I agree with you. One other question. Um, with your, um, shall we say, political goals, do you think that we would be able to take over the entirety of the United States, or would you simply hope to take over the Republican states and then, you know wait for the federal government to kindly give us permission to leave the union? Well, I think that, so, you know, I've talked about secession in um, a piece I wrote at ChristopherCantwell.net titled um, uh, sustained action on the path to sovereignty. And I did an episode of surreal Politiques titled sustained action. Now I, in, in reality, I, treat the prospect of secession with probably greater caution than is alluded to in those pieces, okay? Um, because I'm actually, I'm actually deathly afraid of China, okay? And so to, to at this moment, like let's say that, you know, by some stroke of luck, um, I managed to gain control of New Hampshire, Maine, and Vermont, and, um, and I was, you know, able to have my way with those territories— um, it would not be it would not be my plan tomorrow to secede from the United States, because if we did that, it would be so disruptive that it would it would topple the United States from its position in the world order. And that would the the benefits of that would accrue to China. And I'd be very concerned about the outcome of that. Um, and so that said, the interim, my my advocacy for involvement in politics today is to is to gain control or or at least deprive the the radical left of control of the federal government. Okay, the the goal is to be in control of the federal government of the United States. Um, whatever we can do, whatever you know, little bits we can grab of localities and state governments, that's that's obviously great and that's obviously very important. Um, but. The the goal is to be in control of the federal government. Now, when that becomes an and an unfeasible prospect, then obviously we can't live under Democrat rule forever. They'll kill us. And so, you know, at that point, we would have to get out from under it and, you know, take our chances with the Chinese, I guess.
2: Right. But I guess if you look at a, a map of the Democrat states and the Republican states, you can see uh, basically the whole south of the country and then uh, the, the center line, uh, everything north of Texas, basically, that, that huge thing is the, the Republican states of America. And then if you look at the Democratic states of America, in, in terms of land area, it looks kind of small to me. It's like the, the northeast and the, nor- the northwest mainly. Um, so I know you're in New Hampshire. You might not <laughs> like it if they're part of the Democratic states of America, but they, they could be. Um, but I, I think that, you know, some people don't like the idea of a national divorce because they, they say, well, it would weaken our country and it would tear apart our country, but I think the reality is our country's already weak, our country's already torn apart, so we'd actually just be acknowledging the destruction and the division that's already here, and furthermore, I think that, you know, the you know the republicans are moving farther right at the same time the democrats are moving farther left you see you know republicans moving to red states you see democrats moving out of red states moving to blue states and you know it looks like a a perfect storm which you know um which would make it so there's there's no um possibility to bring them back together once they once they move
0: into their separate states, in addition to the polarization increasing. Yeah, I don't think that. Look, if, if you're somebody who votes Democrat in, in 2023, I mean, like, why would I even try to talk to you? It's kind of like my thinking about it. I mean, I guess there's people who who are doing it that they they really don't know. But anybody who, like, watches the news once in a while and is supporting Democrats, I mean, I, I mean, th- th- those people are, you know, th- th- they're. You know, we've talked about before that, you know, there's a genetic element to politics, of course, and I don't think that those people are are of the sort that can be, you know, changed through discussion. And so, you know, th- there's nothing that we can do to try to bring those people over to our side, and I don't think that's a, a, a worthy expenditure of energy. And so my thinking, um, my thinking on that is if Democrats go to Democrat states and Republicans go to Republican states, well, you know— most of the Democrat power over the federal government comes from New York and California, you know, and so if we were in control of the federal government, I mean, forget about, you know, us seceding from the United States, we could we could kick California out of the union. That's one thing to do. Um, if you kick California out of the United States, it'd never be another Democrat president. So long as Democrat means what it means today, like that would be the end of the Democrat Party as a federal party. Um, that's obviously a drastic measure. There's no you know possibility of that on our radar. But you know there's enough republicans in california to go and turn purple states red you know if they just if republicans leave california and go to states that are not necessarily republican states if they move to the states that are swing states then they will turn those states red um, and that would result in um a supermajority for the republican party they like they wouldn't have a democrat threat to deal with and and part of the thing part of my thinking on you know partisan politics is fundamentally like you know. I, I always come back to the, the 2022 midterm election and Mitch McConnell. OK, so p- a lot of you have heard me say this before. There's new people in the chat. Part of my repetition. So in 2022 in Alaska, you know, Alaska is a Republican state. The Democrats don't stand a chance on a, on a statewide level. And so they have what's called like a um, uh, I think they call it a jungle primary. It's not a partisan primary system. It's the top vote getters go on to the general election. And so, in the general election in, Cal- in in Alaska, there was two Republican candidates facing off against one another. It was Lisa Murkowski versus Kelly Shabaka, and Kelly Shabaka was not an ally of Mitch McConnell, who was uh, then the Senate Majority Leader, okay, the the Republican Senate Majority Leader. Mitch McConnell has like a a Chinese wife, and he's all wrapped up in Chinese business, and all his millions come from dealings with China and all of this stuff, and so. You know, it's not totally surprising that he's selling his country out all the time, and he's the leader of the Senate Republican Caucus. And so he also has something called the Senate Leadership Fund, which is a super PAC, and, you know, that the purpose of this is ostensibly to have the Republican Party in control of the United States Senate. So Mitch McConnell, instead of sending his millions of dollars to, say, Blake Masters in Arizona, a tight race which he could have won or lost, he sent his money to Kelly uh, Lisa Murkowski in Alaska because he was more concerned about – about his position within the party than his party's position within the government and that makes Mitch McConnell a very bad Republican in my view and so the the the, the thing that you run into unfortunately is that it's not in our best interests for Mitch McConnell to be removed from office through anything other than a partisan primary because whatever my problems are with Mitch McConnell he's not a Democrat And so when, you know, Brett Kavanaugh is being confirmed to the court or something like that, he's going to vote with his party. And that is better um, by magnitude, orders of magnitude than a Democrat in his seat. And so the, the reason I explain this is after there's not the Democrat threat, okay? after like after we're not afraid that the Democrats are going to use the federal government to kill us, then we can have af- we have more leeway to deal with internet and party party problems okay party interness and conflicts within the republican party it, you know to go and destabilize the republican party at present risks giving control to the democrats and that's very dangerous when there's less threat of the democrats being in control of the apparatus then you can worry about the Internet conflicts more and you can start pushing these people out uh, what happens now is that you know republicans are <clears throat> Republicans are always like trying to be towards the center in order to try to peel off a few votes away from a Democrat. And that's obviously having, you know, that's resulting in pathologies that we all find very undesirable. And so um, if we have less of a Democrat threat, then, you know, then the Republican party can afford to move rightward and you don't have, you know, have nearly as problems. I'm not sure if I've exactly responded to your point, but I'll, I'll let you respond. Um,
2: uh, yeah. Um, well, that's a watch taken take in. Um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'll get back to you okay. later. I'll, I'll...
0: Um, yeah. Pat, you uh, you wanted to chime in, Pat? Um, Pat, are you, uh, you going to unmute your mic, Pat? Maybe not. Does anybody else want to chime in? Okay, well, um, sorry, I was getting laundry. Mr. Soprano says I missed the last few seconds. Um,
1: There's no way nobody else wants to comment on anything. Well, um, Um, I could probably talk all night about this other stuff that I had on my mind. But, you know, I mean, I don't really think that's the that's the appropriate format of the show. Well,
0: hang on. So uh, Tony Soprano just unmuted his mic. We'll come back to you, Crash, if you want to chime in again. What's what's going on, Tony?
3: Yeah, yeah. Hey, so just one other thing you guys were talking about, like the breakdown of society, you know, do the Democrats want that and all that. I I would just say that um, I just think that's something we're extremely unprepared for. You know, I think a lot of the older, you know, conservative boomer types are all like, oh, you know, they can come get our guns and it'll be a civil war. And I think a lot of people envision this as being some kind of good thing or, uh, you know, regardless, oh, you know, we're going to take over the country kind of thing after the collapse. It's just I think it's very apparent that, like, when you look at a lot of the organizing and rioting of the last, like, let's say a couple of years, how fast, you know, these some of these groups are able to get people mobilized on the street. Like, we can't do that. I'm, I'm fairly confident that everyone in this chat, uh, with maybe an exception of you, Chris, could probably – I mean, heck – can you get 100 people out in you know your town in New Hampshire? I mean, on a moment's notice. I mean, I don't think any of us can. Um, I don't think any of us can get a group out like that, and they can. And that's that, that's the big difference is that you know when things break down, we're going to be all in different places on like little units everywhere, and at best we'll have family and a couple of friends. But I think, it, like that article said, you know, political violence is a right. The game can't win, and I and I don't think that there's been a better. Uh, encapsulation of the subject, because it's so true.
0: Yeah, I was actually, as you were bringing this up, that that article came to mind. I'm not going to read it out loud today, but it's actually on a website that no longer exists. I have it archived if anybody wants the link. um, As a matter of fact, I could probably put, I'll put it in the chat if anybody wants it. Um, That was written by a guy by the name of Daniel Hines over at Jacobite Magazine. And um, I really like that piece. I've read it a whole bunch of times. And so basically the idea behind this is, excuse me. Um, the, the uh, title of it is Political Violence is a Game the Right Can't Win and the idea behind it is basically like you know people have these ideas in their heads that um, you're, you're basically going to have some kind of like you know it's going to happen whatever it is people have these you know these these fantasies if you will and that um, as a consequence of the right fundamentally the idea is that because their cause is just they'll prevail like is, is really what it comes down to Um, they they read other things into it. The guy mentions, you know, oh, we have the guns, you know, we have law enforcement and stuff. And for one, I think that the idea that you have law enforcement on your side is a a questionable prospect at this point. But more to the point, like, you know, there's organization involved in these things and the organization isn't happening. And if you try to conduct the organization for something like that, you're going to be destroyed by the government. And so it's not a good idea, in my view, Um, And it wasn't a good idea in the view of Mr. Hines um, to to sort of like cheer on collapse and war because, you know, the other side is actually much better suited to that conflict. You know, the the reason the left is always stirring up chaos is because they benefit from it. If the left didn't benefit from chaos, then then when their rioters took to the streets, they'd all be shot. And because those people are still alive, that, that tells you everything that you need to know about chaos and disorder.
3: Yeah. And I think it's one of these things we have to keep in mind too, is that, you know, this is a little different now with technology and there's a lot more, ways that we can get screwed in some kind of situation like i mean people always envision this breakdown but let's say you know there is some crazy rioting that happens in your neighborhood kind of like what happened in 2020 and let's say you waste a bunch of people with your you know really cool custom ar that you've built and fantasize about you know using at the time comes kind of thing and you know what uh let's say it does seem like complete anarchy and the state doesn't exist at that time and it is really complete bedlam well i'm willing to bet that with like cell phones recording and literally everything being on video now at some point when the new government takes charge, you're going to be held accountable for that. And like, you know, you might see these videos out of these apocalyptic scenarios and, You know, people were getting charged for things here in the States during COVID riots for, you know, arguably self-defense or things along those lines. But it's going to be 10 times worse if those people take charge. I mean, and that's, I think, what someone has to consider. And, you know, on another note, uh, a completely different topic almost. But, you know, the Salvadorian president, uh, I don't think anyone can say his name, you know, Naive Buki uh, Bukali, whatever his name is. I but, think it's Bukaki.
0: You know, no, I think that's, that's a <laughs> sick joke. Sorry.
3: But, you know, this guy, I mean, he realistically is a modern-day Pinochet almost. And I think... You know, he should be a household name, and I don't think there is a better person that we should be memeing into literally everything. I mean, the guy is probably the greatest hero on the planet uh, living right now when it comes to, uh, you know, cleaning up a country, saving thousands and thousands of lives by taking one of the most dangerous countries in the world and turning it into a nice place seemingly overnight by going hard on crime and gangs and everything. And it's like, this is literally the face of what our movement should be, and like, hell, I can't even say his name. No one's talking about him. And I think this is, a, you know, a huge thing that we should kind of be uh, looking at and elevating. And, you know, we should be putting him on T-shirts. You know, I had a Pinochet shirt back in the day. But, like, you know, what about this guy? I think he's almost better. I mean, we have hard evidence from right now.
0: Yeah, I would say um, I hear about him in the news every so often or see a meme about him on or news article, I should say. I don't see a lot of memes about him, but maybe maybe I should um and what i have heard is like um you know that he's basically gone to war with ms13 and he's trying to clean up his country and that you know the the means by which he goes about doing this are condemned by the left as you know inhumane or something i was like well you know probably allowing ms13 to run the country was probably inhumane that probably caused a lot of suffering um not to mention it didn't really help america very much and so um you know, I don't know about I don't know enough about him to speak very intelligently to it, but I do believe that um, everything I've seen about him is basically that he's he's taking the he's taking the reins and you know using the levers of power to try to fix a problem, which is a, you know the pathology on the right is that they're like skeptical of government power and they and they don't use it, and then you know th- when they don't use it and then they lose control, and then the other side uses political power to destroy everything, and so uh, I think that. You know, a, a leader on the world stage who is actually using political power for right-wing things is entirely too rare, and uh, and certainly worth encouraging at the very least.
3: Yeah, and I think that's one of the pieces of the propaganda is that the fact that he is in a household name for what he's done uh, is huge. I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen some of the propaganda videos he put on Twitter. I highly recommend you to check them out. I mean, there's videos of thousands and thousands of these uh, basically uh, half-naked dudes running through a jail with their hands up with dudes, you know, with military dudes around them. I mean, this is literally probably the most picture-perfect scenario of what we we can see here to clean up the streets. And, like, the fact that this isn't in every fucking— Uh, Every single person's, uh, you know, right wing person's kind of repertoire to be meme in the sky and promoting his thing is huge. And, you know, he did a lot of interesting things. Like, I think he made a big bet on this country's economy on Bitcoin. I'm I'm not going to I don't really know much about this in general, but, you know, there's just so much that I think we can use to kind of support him. And uh, kind of help put him as a model for what we should see here. And the other funny thing, too, is kind of like Pinochet, how they went after him for all these human rights things. They are doing the exact same thing with this guy, all the human rights groups, all the U.N. people. I mean, I just typed in his name and there's articles, you know, he's planning on, you know, uh, El Salvador's naive bookly, you know, the art of the perfect dictatorship, or, you know, amid criticism on his gangs, he uh, turns to sports or, you know, he's running for election despite constitutional questions. They're doing the same thing to him as they did to anyone that's effective. And I think this is a great, great example that we can show people, hey, these human rights groups are full of BS. Uh, you know, this is a perfect example. We should be promoting this guy and they're attacking him. Look at this. You know, this is a perfect, perfect thing. And I I, I can't hype it enough how much uh, this should be talked about.
0: I um I will go follow the guy on Twitter and, and get myself more familiar before we return here, and I thank you for the suggestion. I see Angry Dad has unmuted his mic. Do you have uh, something to say, friend? Maybe not. Oh, he's muted his mic again. All right. Um, Can you hear me oh, now? There you go. Now yeah. I hear you, sir. I hear you, I hear you just fine, Angry All Dad. Right. What's up?
4: Um, no, I was going to say uh, the comments you were making earlier about uh, just simply by virtue of engaging in the political process um, through the Republican Party, you're going to make connections that are going to outlast this system or your participation in the party. Um, and I yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. Um, Yeah, engaging in politics, especially in, like, local politics is definitely something that everybody here or just more people in the dissident right, generally speaking, should be doing. Um, I think our movement tends to be kind of insular insofar as, like, I guess, you know, our our biggest recruiting strategy is to share stuff online, talk with friends, and oftentimes we rely on uh, an individual person's own, you know, agency to find us through, you know, finding a video on the internet or whatever. And uh, But running for some kind of local office actually gets you out there um, interacting with people in your community. And you don't necessarily have to, you know, scream the N-word or talk about racial politics, but you can use just regular style populist uh, talking points, and a lot of these people are extremely ag- agreeable. Like they're, uh, they're just, they're just, they're, uh, they're hungry for this stuff. Um, I ran for mayor in my small uh, community, and I only campaigned one day because I, uh, I was getting messed with by the city um, for some stuff on my property. And I saw the, that the elections were happening, and I had about two weeks to run, so I said, I said, screw it, and I threw my hat in the ring as a write in, independent, and I went campaigning for literally a day, uh, me, and some, me and some pals, and, you know, we, we hit most of the town, but everybody I interacted with, I talked about, uh, you know, uh, government overreach, Um uh, we had, we had issues with big business. Like they're trying, we have a really small town and they're trying to put up an apartment complex and my town is not far away from, you know, undesirable people that might end up living in that apartment complex and basically just populist style talking points, anti, anti anti-government, anti-big business, these type of things. And yeah, the people were, were loving it. And yeah, I mean, we, the biggest thing that we could be doing because as the previous guy was talking about, like we can't, uh, you know, we can't amass, you know, hundreds of people at any one point in time. Well, the only way we're gonna eventually start being able to do that is going out there knocking on doors, filling uh, positions in local politics, whether, you know, under the Republican party or as an independent, as a mayor or something, you know, whatever it is, is being pillars in our community, you know what I mean? And, you know, there's this, there's this fixation in the distant right right now with some of the guys who are kind of dissatisfied with some of the uh some of the larger groups um to try and focus on community building well again the best thing you could be doing is getting out in your community being that fucking or being that pillar um as a yeah, mayor a city councilman et cetera et cetera et cetera you know what I mean
0: yeah I think um the only thing I'd say is that Um, the only correction I'd make to what you said is it's not the only way. Okay. I I think that, and I don't think that you necessarily meant that. Literally, I understand that, you know, in in the course of conversation words like that come out, you could correct me if I'm wrong, but I I think that what you need is you need to be able to speak to, you need to be able to, you need to be part of the conversation fundamentally. Okay. And so like, you know, a a great example was this, um, you know, when, when, Oliver Anthony had this uh, concert in North Carolina. He put up this video and he was like, oh, I'll be talking to everybody. And I, as soon as I saw that, I shared that thing to Telegram, you know, and, uh, you know, if I was anywhere near that thing, I'd have gone down there and I'd have gone and had a conversation with the guy. And um, if he's still out there talking to people, well, right after I published that piece that I've uh, read at read to you today about National Review versus Oliver Anthony, well, then I would encourage you to print out a copy of that and try to get it into his hand um, because, uh, I think that you have to be able to com- communicate with people in whatever way it is that you manage to do that, whether that's by going and you know meeting an artist and having a conversation with him, whether it's just chatting with people at a concert or whether it's by running for office. Um, you know, I ran for the United States House of Representatives in the first congressional district of New York. I think most of you probably know that, but again, we have new chatter, so I'll, I'll be a little bit repetitive. <clears throat> I ran as a Libertarian Party candidate, and I'm actually not so proud of the outcome because – um, I was I did not make the ballot, but I do know that people were writing in my name. And at the time, I took some pleasure in the prospect that it, I likely costed the Republican candidate in that race, the the seat, because there were, you know, hundreds of uh, write in the, the way that New York does this is if there's enough write in votes to um, that, the write in candidate might win, then they'll tell you who the write-in votes were for. If the write-in votes do not amount to such, then they will just tell you how many write-ins there were. They don't tell you who was written on the thing. They don't, they don't bother to do that if, if there's not that many. So there being hundreds of write-in votes, um, they did not count, you know, who was r- being written in, but I am aware of no other write-in candidate in the race save for myself. And so um, when the Republican lost by less than 200 votes and there were some, you know, three or 500, whatever it was, right in votes, there's a, there's a high probability that I actually costed the Republican the seat in that election. Now today I would, <clears throat> I would say that that is in, exceedingly misguided and I wouldn't encourage anybody to do that, but I did that in any case. And in the course of that, I launched my entire, like th- that was the beginning of the political involvement fundamentally that leads us to this point. Um, and so, you know, that is a, uh, that's a, that's a thing worth considering. Now, you know, There's lots of ways to go and get involved in politically relevant conversations. But certainly, you know, direct involvement in politics is, uh, as the wording implies, the most direct way to do that.
4: Well, that's something I actually uh, because I don't disagree with your idea of um, engaging with Republican Party politics. But I want to know how you envision that actually working. Um, So like okay, okay so in theory if you got enough people to agree with you and vote you in you could kind of form like a block within the Republican party and have some influence but like so if i uh if there was a, any given election in my state and i was trying to run as a republican i mean what would your 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 advice to me be like should i re- curtail my rhetoric in, in such a way that I uh, don't come off to, don't uh, reveal my power level? Like how do you envision this actually working?
0: Um, it, well, the way that I envision it working, um, it, so it, it, being involved in Republican Party politics, does not necessarily revolt, uh, result. <laughs> does not necessarily result in us immediately getting what we want. Okay. The, the first thing is the Democrats have to be stopped from opening the borders and turning the kids transgender. Right. Like that. In my view, that's a worthwhile pursuit, even if we don't. You know institute and an an explicitly ethnic immigration policy right like okay build the wall and no more transgender stuff for the kids that's a thing that you can get like normal for lack of a better word republicans to get on board with and it's and it's a popular issue that um will will not have trouble obtaining popular political support and so like those are those are aims that are worthy of pursuit now once you've done that once you're a part of getting rid of the transgender problem and once you're a part of you know ceasing the the influx of bad immigration well like once you've done that then you know you're you're part of the conversation and it's i can't predict what happens beyond that point frankly but like that's that's the way that you that's the way that you gain and wield political influence. You you are you are involved in the process, you are part of the negotiations, and then however much power you can wield within that is how much say you can have in public policy, right? And so, like, it's not that I think that by you know somebody going and becoming a committee mem or something that by virtue of this fact that you know um, all the undesirables will be removed henceforth and that. Um, America will um, dedicate itself to the well-being of a single ethnic group. That's not that's not my vision of it. It's just that you know these are necessary steps on the way to. Accomplishing, shall we say, greater aims. You know that you you go in there and you say, okay, I'm I'm on your team because I don't want them to destroy the, the the I don't want them to destroy the Christian religion in the United States. I don't want them to push weird sex stuff on kids. I don't want to have the the borders open and influxes of dangerous immigration. You know th- those are things that you, that can actually happen in the next election cycle. Literally, like that could that could happen by 2026 or whatever. And so. You know, if that's the case, if you could, if you could, you know, close the borders and and have the uh, and stop the and and stop the transgender stuff by 2026, is is that not a worthwhile goal? Like, I'm pretty sure that it is. And once you're in that position, well, you know, from that position make new plans like right now we're just completely out of the conversation people like you know if you show up at a meeting and they know what your your politics are if you know that if they know that you're listening to the radical agenda maybe surreal politics less but if they know that you're you know you go walk into a republican party meeting with a radical agenda shirt on like you're you know they're gonna be like hey get out of here you're gonna get us in trouble um you know i should note that you know most of the people who listen to surreal politics and the radical agenda like, are not engaged with us on social media, okay? So my download statistics indicate to me that the vast majority of people who listen to my shows do so by downloading the podcast. And if you look at, like, you know, you look at my social media following, say, you know, on, on Telegram, there's um, uh, 2,500 followers. You know, when you... And then in the chat on Telegram, it's, like, less than 400 people. You look at Gab, I have maybe 500 followers on Gab. I have, you know, I... I I keep on getting banned from Twitter, so it doesn't really count that I have less than a thousand followers there. But you know, my my social media following does not exceed my podcast downloads. Put it this way, and so from that fact, we understand that most of the people who are listening are not going out and you know making their political views known. And since they're not doing that, they're they're in a better position to go and try to participate. They have restraint and self control, which is sort of required for for this game. And so, like, what the pathology that that tempts me is to respond to the people who are most in my presence, which is like the, the social media people. And the thing is that the people who are online all of the time, like, you know, they're probably not very well suited to going to the Republican party meeting. Most of them, right. Some of them are, I'm not saying, you know, I'm not, it's not a blanket statement, but, but, The people, the majority of the people who are listening to the show are not engaging on social media, which means that they are not putting themselves in the position that the people who are online all the time are. And so it seems to me that those people have a better chance of participating in politics. And if they go in there and they, you know, run for office and they and they close the borders and stop the transgender stuff, you know, then they can start trying to make more meaningful progress towards, I don't know, you know, uh, better family policy and uh, and and. You know, instead of saying that we're not going to talk about race in schools, we can start giving people better education about what genetics actually entails. You know, that that would be a a a moderate thing where you say, like, no, as a matter of fact, like we're going to teach we're going to teach, you know, not in a manner hostile, hostile to religion. But, you know, we'll, we'll teach Darwinian theory of evolution in such a sense that, you know, yeah, like you inherit traits through DNA and the fact that they're grouped by race is actually not an obscene, sick thought you know, you start doing that. And I mean, the whole entire conversation changes and you can't predict past that point, you know.
2: You know, Chris, I had a quick question. You know, I wonder how you break these things down by age, because I don't hear you talk a lot about age. It seems like you say we're going to try to like this is what Democrats are like. This is what Republicans are like. But uh, I, I guess I'd like to hear you talk a little bit more about maybe differences between age groups uh, um, and how that relates to us recruiting people. Well,
0: I think um, it's not something that I've actually put a great deal of thought into, honestly. I mean, I, I guess, you know, as as you say this, it's just not something that I've thought much about. Now, I, I'm not unaware that cultural differences attend to, you know, um, different age groups. That's, that's obvious. Um, and... You know, to the extent that, you know, the the extent of my thinking about it is simply that, you know, if you're if you're going somewhere or you're trying to participate in some kind of conversation that, you know, your your ability to converse with those people is dependent upon your understanding of their frame of reference. And I guess, you know, I'm probably not good at understanding a, a modern teenager's frame of reference because I, I don't make a great deal of effort to. Um well, but
2: go ahead i was listening to academic agent and they made this comment and i'm not sure if it's true but they they were saying that people 20 and under these days are either um way way far to the right or way way far to the left like basically i I think the way he put it uh they're they're either wearing the the german uniforms or they're wearing the soviet uniforms it's it's not much in between i don't know if that's true but that's what they claim
0: I mean, I've I've heard it said that, you know, what is it? Um, are they calling them Generation Z? I guess I, I've heard these this speculation that Gen- Generation Z is more right wing, um, and you know, I don't think that it would be a very high bar to set because I think that typically, you know, young people have tended towards liberalism because, uh, you know, my my simple theory on this it's not very well informed is that. You know, they 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 want they 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 believe that freedom is a higher value and they believe liberalism provides it. Okay, Uh, I don't know that that's the case, but I think that what's happening now is that, you know, I think that to the extent that there are kids who are adopting, you know, dissident right views, say. That that the reason for that is that this is the counter, this is the counterculture, right? Like, if you want to be edgy and new and and you know, kind of hipsterish, it's kind of like the thing to do. You know, you're not you're, you're trying to stand out from the crowd, and you're trying to um, you know, you're 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 sta- you're being the vanguard of something. Say, um, you you can't really do that by being you know, like what are you like the only, to to be a to be an edgy liberal now. Like what would you have to do like you know like how would you stand out from the most extreme people in in the democrat party right or, or how would how does person a person stand out as an extreme democrat at this point like if you're if the if nancy pelosi is you know advocating for the mutilation and drugging of children for sexual purposes i, I don't know like how you outdo that say and so you know, I guess, uh, you know, the, the way that you do it, I guess, is you you throw on a mask and you set things on fire and you beat people up in the streets is, I guess, the answer to the question. But like, you know, that's fundamentally a a, a, a question of action rather than of ideology, say. And so, um, you know, I, I think that anybody who's paying attention to politics at, at this point is kind of like you know, the idea that you would be a centrist in 2023 is weird to me. Right. Like. Our politics in say two thousand in two thousand, you know, was kind of like I, I think that most people's complaint about politics in the year two thousand was probably that there wasn't much of a choice between the candidates, right? That that every the candidates were basically all the same, and that the parties didn't really give you much of a choice. And I think that that is no longer the case. Like that is completely changed um, in in such a dramatic fashion that you know it's polarizing to our politics. It's sort of like dangerous it's a dangerous destabilization of our politics, but I guess it sort of had to happen because the the alternative was fundamentally to, you know, to for us all to become transgender and cease to reproduce, and that obviously wasn't going to fly.
2: Well, um, I, I mean, I, I think that in terms of how you reach out to people, it's really huge, variant with different ages, you know, um, partly because, you know, I see people 65 and up, you know, and if it's not on the TV set, it doesn't exist, you know, and um, I can recall personally for maybe the first 10 years of my life, there was barely any Internet. And then from maybe ages 10 to 15 each year, I use the Internet more. And then by the time I was like 18, 19, 20, it's like I, I didn't even use the TV anymore. Everything was online. And so you know, I think that I'm not saying we should only rely on online recruiting, but, um, you know, I, I do think that there's just a massive, um, difference between the generations.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it seems to go without saying that, you know, um, older people are less attuned to new technologies and younger people are more attuned to them. And, um, You know, our ability to recruit online um, has obviously – it was obviously diminished between 2017 and 2020. Uh, I think that there are new opportunities for that, and I'm still sort of, you know, still sort of getting the hang of them, say. um, And those opportunities exist. I I was uh, about to start buying Twitter advertisements when they banned the Talk Radio God account. Um, And so – you know, trying to go out and reach people, you know, on the Internet, <coughs> I guess that's going to, you know, your your demographics are probably going to be of a younger bent than than if you advertise on Fox News, say. And I think that we probably have a easier time um, buying advertisements on Twitter or, um, you know, other platforms like that than we would uh, in getting our, you know, a, a radical agenda ad on Fox News. Say.
2: <coughs> so just one other quick thing I wanted to say, you know, um I, I think that for the boomer generation, it's sort of like um, they they remember their parents, you know, talking about how their parents were, or excuse me, the boomers remember their parents telling the stories about how the Allied powers were the heroes and, you know, that the being a supporter of Germany was the ultimate taboo. And I do think to a certain extent that the taboo is wearing off, partly because you call everybody that, you know, and it wears off, but also partly because it's 80 years later. Um, that's another thing. An academic agent claimed he said that, you know, um, this this thing about uh, uh, the Germans, the way they were in the 30s and 40s. Uh, he, he claims that the the Zoomers uh, are just it's not as taboo for them as it was in the past. It's if anything, for some of them, it's it's like an opportunity to, you know, get some shock humor.
0: Well, you know, here's the thing. So, like, when I was growing up, um, you know, the, my cultural reference to sex was that it was, like, dirty. And if you said anything about sex, you were, like, it was it was very taboo. And so because of that, I, I thought that sex was very amusing to talk about. And I broke the taboo. Well, like... That's not the case anymore, right? They're turning the kids transgender, for God's sake. And so, like, what is your taboo to break? That's the only one left, I think, is is probably as much to account for this as as what you're describing. That's the taboo. And and so, like, people, you know, if you were going to, like, it, what's, what's now the edgy thing to do is be like, I don't watch pornography, right? When I was a kid, like, pornography was, like, criminal, right? And so you know, people wanted to break the taboos or at least the people in my social circle certainly did. And so, like, if you're going to break the taboos, like, there are none left save for that. And I think that, you know, that's at least a relevant phenomenon. That was certainly, like, the case, like, in my, like, early, like, stand-up career. Like, you know, I remember, like, I famously made, like, fleshlight jokes on, on comedy stages and stuff like this. And, um, uh, and... I was just like after a while, I was like, well, everybody does this like actually this is not edgy anymore, you know um, you know, if you've been listening to the radical agenda for a long time, you might recall my when I had Dave Smith on the show, he's a comedian uh, host of a podcast called part of the problem and another he's on another podcast called Legion of Skanks. and um you know it emerged at some point that he was a listener of the radical agenda and um, and I had him on the show and I was like, well, you know, it used to be that, you know, you had all these different taboos and comedians were breaking them and now they're not taboos anymore. So, like, what's the thing that you're taking the risk with at this point? You're not. And so you're actually not like a brave artist anymore. You're just you're just doing the same thing as everybody else is doing. This is the only taboo to break. And so, you know, that was, you know, I don't want to say that my only purpose in the radical agenda was to break taboos. But, you know, it certainly some garbage podcast certainly started out that way. And um and you know this is this is where we find ourselves because you're making jokes about a thing and then you realize as a consequence of humor you know the serious implications and so anybody else want to chime in
1: yeah um i really my ears perked up when you started talking about the the right as counterculture because i've thought the same thing a lot and you know as a father I've even mentioned to my wife, I'm like, you know, I just don't understand, you know, so the kids are supposed to want to rebel, right? And I know that some of that's going to be, you know, rebellion against your parents, but it's it's really rebellion against everything sometimes, it seems like. And I'm like, if you want to make an identity for yourself, because, you know, all these kids are looking for an identity. And if you want to make yourself stand out and whatever they want to do, wear decent, Clothes. Don't dress like a like a like like street trash. Don't talk like street trash. Carry yourself with some dignity. Put, put your shoulders back, your head up, and you're gonna like you're gonna stand out. And I guarantee you, I've got daughters. I mean, I guarantee you, boys are gonna like it. Um, so I'm kind of waiting, you know, for that to kind of kick in. And I, I guess it does with 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 some kids, but you know, girls are just so. I don't want to generalize too much, but girls just seem to be a lot more impressionable to what they constantly hear, uh, whereas boys might be more prone to like, okay, all these morons are, are telling me that I should do this and that, so I probably should do something else. But And then, you know, with the Gen Z, everybody talks about them as, you know, the this is our, our big hope here. Well, of course the politics are going to be more extreme, because that's just the way the culture is now. But I think due to education and the saturation of of social media and culture and smartphones and stuff, yes, there are more extreme right than there used to be and more extreme left, But but the proportion of extreme left is, it dwarfs the proportion of extreme right. And so I don't really put a lot of hope in that myself. I mean, I, I want to put hope in it, but I'm not so sure that, that I, I realistically do.
0: Well, I, the, I the, the purpose of the project fundamentally is for it to no longer be extreme, right? So, like, I think that that's an important sort of point to bring up is, like, you know, if you're ex- – like, the extremist loses by definition, okay? The reason, that, the reason that the extreme left is winning is because they've made their ideas normalized – to a sufficient number of people that, that they are no longer considered extreme. And so, you know, I always come back to transgenderism just because that's the vanguard. And now it's like, they, they so quickly move that from some like fringe, you know, fetish into, um, mainstream Democrat politics, that this is the civil rights cause of our day. And like, I think that that's a big mistake on their part. I, I don't think that that's popular. And, you know, while there's like a, a lunatic fringe, um, that seems to be in control of the Democrat party. That's that, that does not work out to their political interests is my prediction of it anyway. Um, You know, to the extent that, so I don't think that there's, I don't think that there's a huge contingent of what would be described as extreme right. I think that there's a reactionary element that sees the left as dangerous and evil. And, and that's actually good enough, right? Like I, like, you know, I don't need, I, I actually don't particularly care for, a doctrinaire, you know, ideological right that, you know, is all in uh, that, that, that has, you know, this, this, this ideological program statement that everybody has to be on board with. I don't, I don't think that that's a politically feasible thing. And to the extent that people pursue it, I I think that they exclude themselves from the political conversation largely. And so, you know, the, the idea is to, um, you know, have a reactionary Thing to the left, and I think that that's happening regardless of any of our participation. The left is creating that for us, and to the extent that we can influence that to be, you know, more in line with our desires, then then that's a thing worth doing. Um, the the um, I I, uh, I don't I'm I'm not sure if I fully responded to your point, but that's my thoughts on what you said.
1: You did, and I want to say just one more thing because I I wanted to bring this up earlier. You made a point about. Um, Antifa can get away with all the things that they do and, you know, burn shit and, and destroy property and beat people down on the streets and get away with it. Well, yes, so it, it's because they have people and political power that support them. But the other element of that is those people that support them are willing to do things. You know, like the left doesn't, they're not known for their restraint and, and their principles which plays into their favor here. But then you got the Republicans who, even when they are in power, and I know that the deep state and all that, they don't really ever have the amount of institutional power that the left does. But even when they are in power, they want to play nice. They don't want to do anything. They just let everything go and hope that it's going to get better, I guess. And a lot of what you said with they just don't really get, you know, they don't care. Um, they're really just protecting their own power and their own comfort. but. If we had a Republican Party that was willing to do something, I mean, the the Democrat Party has gotten so emboldened because they know that there's no consequences for anything. Even if the Republicans sweep everything uh, in 2024, there's not a damn thing that's going to happen to them. And they know it.
0: Yeah, that's I, gotta I, I think that w- this was best exemplified, you know, m- more than even anything I had to say in my response to it. The, the, the thing that I read at National Review, probably the most relevant part of it is that You know, Mr. Wright over there, he says, um, oh, we can do things without Washington. Washington, you know, we got to, like, get it out of our lives. This pathology has to be vanquished, okay? Like, you know, the government is not something that we should try to avoid interaction with. It's something that we should seek to control and use for our purposes. And and that pathology that Mr. Wright um, uh, so well articulates, uh, I, I say somewhat sarcastically, you know, He's basically like, oh, well, you know, if Washington's doing things that are sort of harmful to your life, it's your obligation to, you know, rise up above that white man. Uh, he obviously doesn't invoke white because that, you know, you're not allowed to do it at the National Review. Um, but, you know, you, the idea being, oh, well, you know, Washington, we should we should seek to make the federal government of the United States irrelevant in our lives. Well, that's idiotic, okay? It's stupid and it and as a matter of fact it's not politically popular, okay? You know, people want the government to do what they want the government to do and if you're like and if the best that you can offer them is I will reduce the amount of burden that the Democrats have placed upon you, that's actually not a very appealing prospect to most voters and so, you know, there has to be a there has to be an effort to, you know, improve the lives of people. And when when conservatives fail to do that, they they forfeit their power. Um You know, I think that was kind of largely what you're getting at. I I love this line. I've said it a million times. A lot of you have heard me say it. Um, The guy, Andrew Wilkow, is on Sirius XM satellite radio I used to listen to frequently. And he had this line, he says, Democrats wield power, Republicans hold office. And this so well summarizes our political problem that basically Republicans, the only thing they do— and it's don't get me wrong it's a meaningful service that they provide is to keep democrats out of power they go in there and they sit there and they do nothing and you're like oh well you know thank god that you stopped assaulting us you know but that that's unsustainable in that eventually people want the government to do something and if you're like oh no no you know my job is to sit here and collect a paycheck and do nothing well you know voters eventually are like well you know i want somebody to go do something and they vote for the other side and then and then, and then they get scared of what the other side is doing and then they vote Republican. And this is sort of the, the cycle that we have. Um, I think that if you have a more energetic Republican Party that's willing to actually pursue a policy agenda, then, then you'll see people have more enthusiasm for the Republican Party. And the thing is, though, you, it's kind of like it's a chicken or the egg thing because if people are like, well, why would I do anything for the Republican Party? Because the Republican Party's not doing anything for me. It's like, well, exactly. Right. So like you have to go do things. You have to be the first one to act. You have to go in there and you have to provide value. And then you and then through that, then, you know, your faction can can gain some power and actually do something. If you're like, oh, well, the Republican Party doesn't do anything for me, so I'm going to stay home or I'm just going to show up on Election Day and pull the lever for whoever fits my fancy. Well, like all of the important decisions are made long before Election Day. And and if you're not involved in making those decisions, no wonder that you don't like your options when Election Day rolls around. And so, you know, the um, you need to have a uh, you know, it doesn't have to be a, an intellectual, ideological vanguard that does this. It, they just have to go in there and pursue an actual policy agenda and stop this, you know, this silly, like libertarian pathology of the, the government that governs least, governs best or you know, whatever you want to, however you want to phrase it, that like the government doing nothing is the, is the optimal goal that, that needs to be overcome. And I don't think that that's a very high bar to set, by the way. So like, you know, if you go in there and you say, I, I used the example before, these are very simple things. You know, this is what, to the extent that Ron DeSantis has gained any popularity, he's gained it by being like, yeah, we're not, we're not for this woke stuff. We're going to, you know, we're going to be in a state where woke goes to die. And, you know, he can't compete with Donald Trump, but. You know, he was in second place until I think pretty recently Vivek Ramaswamy uh, beat him. And, you know, maybe what we all need to do is go rap like Eminem or something. And that's a joke. I don't think that that's a a good idea. But, um, you know, pursue an energetic policy agenda and and make it. You know, and a moderate center right policy agenda, but actually pursue it. Go get things done. Go pass laws and and put them into action. And you know, people would be like, "Oh, they're doing stuff." I, I, you know, I can actually expend some energy in favor of that.
1: You know, most of the time I think you're right, but sometimes I sit here and I think uh, there are cases where is the Republican Party scared to take action because you? I've been thinking about James Fields a lot because of what you've been talking about and let's remember that that was jeff can 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 we cuss in this one i i would rather you not okay that is jeff sessions uh justice department that is threatening to kill this young man they had no problem using their power to do that and i don't want to turn this into a big you know thing about that but that's something that i've been thinking about a lot i'm like well they'll take action when they when they want to And it just irritates me well yeah
0: and so like i'm sorry i didn't mean to interrupt or finish your thought no no i'm i'm done okay so you know this is the thing okay so i've said it before you know donald trump wins the election and um and he goes in there and he has no experience in washington all he can do is ask reince Priebus, who's in charge of the party well the fact that we were not involved with the party prior to that date is the reason that we were not at the table for that okay and so like is the republican party too scared to do anything well it depends on how you define the republican party first of all if you're talking about you know who has earned their place into the top echelons of the party through years of service certainly those people are afraid to do anything i think the average republican primary voter is of a of a rather significantly different mindset than them and that's part of the part of the part of the time that we live in and the things that are changing is that the Republican primary voter, this is why, like, Donald Trump's been indicted four times and his support's going up, you know. Could you imagine, could you imagine in the year 2000 a president's, you know, a presidential candidate gets indicted once and is still, like, has 2% of the support of the Republican primary base? No, you could not imagine that. You couldn't imagine that six years ago. So, like, you know, it's totally, the thing has been completely rewired and, that has not filtered up into the donor class in the upper echelons of the party because those people were there in the Bush years. And so like the people who are at the top of the party, of course, you know, they're not going to change as fast as the whims of the public. You know, those people have earned their their status, you know, depending on how loosely you define earn, of course. You know, fundamentally, those those people are in their positions because they've they've provided years of service to the party and they are Inherently reluctant to change because they're comfortable where they are they don't want things to be different than the comfortable situation then they're in they're actually very resistant to that and so you know what what is inglorious in the extreme and what very few people really care to you know deal with is that the way that this is dealt with is you know people have to go and show up and do things that are boring and not particularly glorious and do that for a very long time, and then as a consequence of that, we'll be in a position to do things that are exciting. And since, you know, people have a, an extreme lack of patience understanding the direness of our circumstances, understandably, you know, they are, they are prevented from taking the actions which they require in order to find the outcomes that they do. My hope is that, I, you know, and I don't hear from these people often enough. But like I do hear from them from time to time is, like I said before, that, you know, most of the people who listen to the shows actually don't they don't engage with us on social media, that they are not of the same pathology that that we find in the actively engaged enthusiasts of the show. And so because of that, there's you know, there's some hope that there are people who you're not interacting with, who, you know, have the have the patience to do those things. And if they do, you know, then in a number of years, then they'll be in a position to to wield greater power, there's an argument to me that we don't have those years, and that everything's going to be completely destroyed in in a shorter period of time. Okay, I understand that. That is not dispositive of the point, as I stated earlier, that there's a lot of things that are going to happen along the way, and so. You know, yes, obviously, the people who are in charge of the Republican Party, they're scared and timid and they are resistant to change because they are comfortable. Comfortable people don't want change. That's the whole entire point of being comfortable. You want things to stay the way they are. Well, you know, uncomfortable people are like, well, I'm getting involved in politics. And, you know, and and as a consequence of that, some number of years down the road, then then the politics change with them. And the Donald Trump phenomenon is certainly. Um, going to result in that there are going to be third and fourth order effects that are unpredictable at this point because Trump people have gotten involved in the party and and in the government. I think you had the Trump thing in part because Ron Paul people did this, right? So Ron Paul runs for president in 2008, no such luck, runs for president in 2012, no such luck. But in the course of all that, you know, maneuvering within the party, a lot of Ron Paul people got involved in the government. I don't think that Donald Trump would have happened had that not been the case. And so, you know, these are the third and fourth order future effects that you can't necessarily predict. You know, there's a lot of moving parts and you're, and you're not necessarily privy to everything that's happening. But, you know, th- they are happening. And, um, you know, that's part of the reason not to cheer on the collapse. Right. Because there's like prudent people who are not telling you what you're doing. And if you and if you bring down the system that they're trying to work with then you sabotage their efforts. Is sort of my thinking. Now, I think Angry Dad said in the chat that he wanted to chime in next. Go ahead, sir.
4: Yeah, um, I was gonna say you uh, made a comment earlier about uh, you don't really place too much primacy in the idea of having like an ideological core of people or an ideologically, uh, uh, I suppose, dogmatic um, wing or whatever, however you want to phrase it. Yeah. Um, and that, if that's the case, uh, I suppose how would you prevent, I guess, the wrong ideas? From seeding into your into your uh, efforts you know what I mean so I guess like one of the reasons why um, Democrats um, neo-marxists are so successful is because of how ideologically cohesive and rigid they are you know
0: well I, I actually don't and, I don't think that's why they're successful I'll let you finish your point but go ahead
4: uh, I guess well I mean I suppose, uh, obviously you have I mean obviously there's a ton of factors that go into that, not, you know, ideological ideological consistency is not the only one, but it's certainly a contributing factor.
0: All right. So I I think the reason that Democrats are successful is not so much because they they stake out extreme positions. I, I think that the reason that they are successful is because they have exercised the most prudent strategy. Okay. So like they have seen they've they've made very careful observation of you know you know how the mechanics of power work in the united states and then they act on that understanding so like and that's kind of the i went into this in greater detail in episode one of surreal politics that basically you know the the the, the theme of the show is realpolitik a real politics in an unreal world and the idea being like democrats have this like surreal nightmarish policy agenda but as a matter of fact, when it comes to actually like dealing in politics, like they are masters of realpolitik. They manage, they never, ever, ever for ideological reasons, never for ideological reasons do they cede an opportunity to obtain power. They will say and do anything for power. Okay. And w- when you do that, like when ideology does not get in the way of your pursuit of power, then you can institute ideological aims. Right. Republicans and conservatives, and 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 way more for the dissident right. Okay, <clears throat> they allow ideology to get in the way of their pursuit of power. They say like, oh, you know, I have to I have to stay true to my principles, and I and I won't forfeit them for for gain. Essentially, and so that's a good way to be like admired in a chat room, but it's actually not a good way to participate in politics. Sadly, and so like, no, like the the pursuit of power has to come first. Everything has to be. Everything has to be, um, you know, subsequent to the pursuit of political power. That's the only. That's the only way to do anything meaningful in politics, and so um, that's kind of the whole thrust of my, you know, idea. Since I've come home, is basically that, you know, you, you don't you don't let ideological ideas get in the way of of political pursuits or, or for that matter for money. Okay. So Democrats control, you know, I understand that there's an ethnic component to this obviously, but if the Democrats control the media in large part, the Democrats control, you know, these major levers of power that have no obvious connection to politics. Okay. And, be, and they, and they did that as part of a political project. And in the course of doing it, like, you know, people, you know, when Barack Obama wanted to be president of the United States, was he talking about transgenderism? No, he's saying marriage is between a man and a woman. So, like, you do whatever you have to do to obtain power. You say, oh, you know, oh, I think that our immigration policy should be, uh, you know, um, very moderate. And I don't think that illegal immigration is so great. And we have to really reduce the illegal immigration. And everybody's like, wow, well, it's illegal. It's by definition bad. So I'm on board with that. You say, like, okay, we've got to go and start, you know, deporting United States citizens because they're subversive. Then they could be like, hey, wait a second. You're, you're nuts. What are you doing? You know? you you can't do that and so they'll they'll think that you're an extremist and they and they won't vote for you the reason democrats are successful is because they do whatever they have to to be successful and then and now they're in control of all the levers that determine success and so now because they're in control of all those levers they can afford to say crazy lunatic things like yeah we're going to train your kids and you can't stop us but that's because they exercised a great deal of like prudent moderation prior and you know, they're and they're expending their energy like what they're doing right now is not it's it's not a pursuit of power. It's an expenditure. And that's like, an, in my view, it's an error that they're making that that we could take advantage of.
4: Well, if you're working within the bounds of the Republican Party and you're not fighting in the realm of the ideal. Um, and you're only pursuing these like short term uh, policy objectives like if you're an anti anti immigration kind of Republican, and how would you prevent, uh, I suppose, uh, you know, some capitalist repub- Republican who benefits from um, immigration? How would you, uh, I guess, com- com- combat that that tendency?
0: Well, the only way to combat that tendency is to have exercised the, the prudent moderation to obtain the power to outvote him, right? So, like, you know, once you're in the party, then you can start, you know, then you're in a position to say, like, hey, Mitch McConnell's doing things that are bad for the country. You know, Mitch McConnell's doing things that are, forget the country for a second. Mitch McConnell's doing things that are bad for the party, okay? Because that's what the party cares about. So you say Mitch McConnell is not a good Republican. He threw all this money at Lisa Murkowski, who's a terrible Republican, because he wanted to protect his own position and, and screw our party. And now we'd, we lost the Senate as a result of that. And because of that, Joe Biden had complete control of the government for two years. And and that's something that people who are who who the party cares about their opinion will you know, hear that. If you're an enemy of the party, if you're just somebody who doesn't vote in primaries or donate or do anything, you're irrelevant to the interests of the party. So why would anybody in the party pay any attention to you? So, like, the only way that you can exercise any power is by ingratiating yourself to to the people who whose whose opinions and actions you need to influence it's the only way to do it and so like you know having like an ideological vanguard i'm not saying that it's useless it obviously has its it's it's it obviously has its uses but it is impotent in the extreme if there's not somebody who's going to go in there and and actually go and wield the, the the go and grab control of the levers of the apparatus and so that's That's kind of my idea. Tony, you wanted to chime in?
3: I just want to uh, build on what you're saying, too, uh, specifically, you know, I think the rhetoric and, you know, the platform, I I think a lot of people think when they get into politics, they need to have a platform and rhetoric. And I I would argue that that's actually the last thing you need, Um, you know, from what I've actually gathered. And, you know, for what it's worth, you know, anyone who's anyone in the Republican Party in the upcoming Republican Party, the young guys are all at a big convention that's happening right now in Dallas starting tomorrow, the Young Republican National Convention. Right. So I, I know you know, plenty of people in town, you know, a lot of politicians in town, a lot of speakers, you know, big event. But, you know, these are the people that are going to be on our ballots uh, upcoming. You know, these are the people shaking hands. And like, you know, I think the idea that, you know, we need to have a platform and we need to go in there and you know, I think there's a time and a place that, you know, we will voice our support for certain things, but in general, you're just shaking hands, meeting people. And I think one of the commenters said, it's not about so much ideology, it's about who can win. Right. So like at these events, when there's a guy that gets up and speaks really well, and, you know, is very put together, you know, he might not even be talking about any sort of uh, political, uh, you know, let's say view like ideology or, you know, thing that he's trying to do he's just talking about the thing and people see this as a leader and i think that's really what it needs to be just showing up to these things and like you know i'm going to try to get to these events and i I think that's something we should all be doing because the more of us that are in the room you know the more chances we are of building the actual party that we want it to be and i do think we're in a really good position you know we're talking about the counterculture either earlier and i really do think that's been very effective with young people and i think that's such a a good thing right now. I think a lot of people are so turned off by the craziness that, you know, just being the adults in the room and uh, showing up to these things, I think there's so much, you know, to encourage the young people to get involved, too. So helpful.
0: Yeah, I think um, I, I, uh, I'm I not sure I have much to respond to because I think that um, what you've said is um, largely in agreement with what we've said, and I think that you're, uh, I, I think that uh, obviously when you're agreeing with me, that, that by definition means you're correct. Um, little joke there. Um, anybody? Uh, anybody else want to chime in? Well, all right. Well, it's eleven thirty, and so oh, did somebody just unmute? Go ahead.
5: Um, can I be an autistic libertarian for a second? Yeah, oh,
2: okay,
0: sure. Well, let let uh, money penny go, and then I'll get to you, Matt. Go ahead.
5: I'm sorry. All this talk about politics, I keep coming back to one thing. <sighs> I just I don't see politics as a fair fight, as where you put two honorable men in the in the one that is the best achieves victory. I I see it as a game of both sides trying to de- deceive each other. Yes. And I don't think there has ever been an election that wasn't stolen. I kind of feel like the last election where everyone claimed that Donald Trump's win was stolen was the most honest election I have ever seen. And I feel like if we don't understand that, if, hey, maybe I'm wrong. I got an open mind here, but I kind of feel like the real politics of this whole thing is it's not about being right or being just or being honorable. It is the exact opposite. That you have to you have to deceive, you have to lie, you have to control, you have to wield. But I feel like our side would be better at this if they would just drop morality. But what what then would make us different from the other side?
0: So to respond to that, I would say that you don 't drop morality, you just understand you know the rules of the game that you 're playing, okay, so you know people t- you say it's unfair, well, you know, depending on how you define fair it's just like people don 't understand the rules of the game, like the election was rigged, okay, well, rigging the election is part of the rules of the game as a matter of fact, so like that 's exactly what it is right you know yes, as, exactly. as, I, as I've said before it's not but the thing is and, and i don 't even mean necessarily like you know i mean I think that vote fraud is probably. It's not something that I want to advocate out loud, obviously, but I do think it's part of the game, but more to the point that, like, you know, the decision of who you get to vote for is the contest, right? So, like, you know, people who show up on Election Day and they're like, oh, Joe Biden or Donald Trump, like... You know, like all the important decisions were already made, like the fact that you only have two people to vote for means that the entire thing has been set up for you to, you know, enter into that path where you can choose between these two people who have been approved by powerful people. So the people who run the country, they don't they don't actually mind that much, whether it's Donald Trump or Joe Biden. They actually don't mind that much. Okay, they've already made all the important decisions have already happened before that point. And so. Like, that's the – people don't understand the rules of the game. They don't understand the mechanics of the system. So they say, like, oh, because my ideas are better, then therefore I deserve political power. And you're welcome to have that, like, philosophical viewpoint, but that actually has absolutely nothing to do with the mechanics of power. And so, you know, part of what I've been trying to do is sort of, you know, talk more about the mechanics of power. I I arguably haven't done enough of that because – the temptation when you're publishing on a deadline is to talk about whatever's in the headlines. And I make, I make that error, but like, you know, talking about the mechanics of, of how it works is, is kind of like, or at least encouraging people to understand them is sort of the, the object of the contest. And so, you know, I don't think that it's abandoning morality importantly, because like, it's actually not a moral thing to let the Democrats run the country. So like if the Democrats are going to kill everybody and and you are a moral actor, then, like, your obligations as a moral actor are to prevent that from happening. And so, like... It, you don't you don't abandon morality to do that you you act on a moral necessity to accomplish a goal so like if you're if you're a soldier in war you don't have any moral obligation to like inform the enemy of where you're moving okay <laughs> as a matter of fact if you want to go out on your radio and be like oh we're over here knowing that the enemy is listening okay that's a deceptive act but you haven't done anything immoral it's part it's the rules of the game and so you're you're participating as you're supposed to and if you understand that then 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 you can play the game efficiently people are acting on people are trying to participate in politics according to rules that have nothing to do with politics they're they're acting they're they're playing a different game by different rules than the other side is and they and they're confused why they lose and so no what they actually need to do is understand the rules of the game and the rules of the game include you know deciding what you present. I mean, do you necessarily have to lie? I mean, in the in the sense of like telling an overt lie and overt deception, I don't think that that's absolutely necessary it might be, but like, you know, lying is expensive politically, okay? If you if you say something if you make a false statement that has the potential to come back and bite you in ways that say, you know, choosing what you present is a different category of action you know some people might call this lying by omission or something okay you you don't go and you say you don't say hey i've been in telegram chats talking about you know hitler and national socialism like you don't go out and wear a a swastika pin to the republican party meeting does that mean that you're lying about your political views i would say that you are not and so like you know what you choose to present is a it's arguably manipulative but yeah like manipulative is part of the Part of the project okay so like the whole entire point of the enterprise is to manipulate and so when you're engaged in those rules it's kind of like you know if you enter if you go into a box generally we consider it immoral to punch people in the face unless of course you have entered into a boxing ring with somebody who's going to punch you in the face and that's part of the project right so like when you enter into politics the entire purpose of the enterprise is to be manipulative and and you're actually not doing anything immoral by by that act People are trying to act like they're dealing with members of their church and like that's actually not the purpose of the enterprise. And so it's because they're they're playing a different game. They're they're losing because they don't understand the rules. That's my that's my view of it. Um, uh, Did you have. Go ahead. I was going to say it's sort of that
5: exactly in that. um, I feel like consolidation even is a weapon being used. Like Democrats and Republicans mostly agree on the things that matter, right? But it's like even in um, corporations, you you don't want a whole bunch of mom and pop shops to have to manage uh, tax income, you know? you, You want to consolidate everybody under a handful of companies because then they're easier to control but then if you, can, if you can get the populace to then uh, put themselves into these little boxes of either R or D, there's only two boxes by which you have to control. It is so much easier to do so that way. But at the same time, consolidation is also where you get the most amount of power, right? So I go back and forth with this. It's like at least uh, with the libertarian mindset or trying to think outside the box, at least you get a variety of um, ideologies to which need to be somehow controlled. Might make it harder, but yet less power for uh, those in politics. I just just feel like politics is a game of deception. No matter what side you're on, yes, you do have to leave behind morality because they're not. And if you're playing by the rules of morality, then you show up to a boxing match and they bring guns. I mean, what the hell are you supposed to do against that?
0: Well, you know, I would um before before uh I move on to Matt, I'll just reiterate the point. I, I don't view it as and I understand why you're why you why you see it that way. I think that the way to frame it you know, the way to organize this in your mind in order to make it more palatable anyway, is to say like, OK, I'm actually not I'm actually not doing something immoral. I'm, I'm playing the, the game by by the rules that are established. And that's that's why what I'm doing is not immoral. You know, it's kind of my my thinking of it. And so,
5: well, OK,
0: well, I, to, I'll ask you to conclude your thoughts because it is 1138 and I and I still wants to go, But it, just, go ahead. You could make a closing statement on it.
5: OK, closing statement. Uh, For somebody that knows how to argue the other side better than the other side can, not naming any names, um, it would have to be the right situation, but the thing is, if if somebody is trying to seize power to prevent something awful from happening, then self-defense liberates them from the need for morality, right? I mean, if somebody is is attacking me in my house and I am supposed to be defending myself and my family, then the morality of killing somebody else, uh, it, it precedes whatever the hell they're trying to do. So politics is like that. It's like wrestling the gun in the room in order to wield it against those that have worse ideas in mind. Therefore, morality is, is freaking out the window. But I would trust that somebody that could argue the other side better than the other side can, well, that's exactly what we need, is somebody that can agree with liberals for all the wrong reasons and can leverage the vote thereby. Trump was so good at a lot of things, but then he lost his nerve when he could have pressed it maybe a good decision maybe a bad decision but i think that if somebody anybody is to win in the long term they got to put morality aside and realize it's not it's about self-defense morality is out the window and be willing to to cross the rubicon when the opportunity arises I'll mute now
0: okay um and i just say that you know, in the case of self-defense, you're not throwing morality out the window. the 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 moral rules are different, and therefore, you're you're still you're you're acting in a moral fashion by killing the person who's trying to kill you. Matt, go ahead. Matt,
1: I had my
2: own point, but first, I'll just quickly respond to Money Penny's point. You know, I think the the issue is um with libertarianism we look at why the libertarian party gets about 1% of the the vote i think it's partly because you know people the the percentage of the population that have the genes for being libertarians are about 1% of the population so i think that you know what I would say to libertarians is you try to find out what genes libertarians have and find a way to promote those in the gene pool. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to promote your ideology. And you might have to violate your ideology, violate the non-aggression principle in order to bring about such a world where people have more of those genes. Um, but moving on to my other point, um, you know I, I think that chris you're, you've worked one um part of this in the past and once you've um gotten out of jail you've worked the other um part of this um by that what i mean is before you went to jail you were in the whole um uh i'm gonna just say you know um uh, let, let's say alt-right things i'm gonna say the overtly things and now you're saying like we need to be totally quiet um, about those things and try to work with political pragmatism, I think that, you know, there's a way that these two groups could work together where, you know, we we do need some people who will name the, the people with the noses and the hats, you know, um, and who will just, you know, scream that word that, you know, begins with N, you know, uh, we do need those people, but we also need the political wing and i think that we need to find a way to get those two groups to be working simultaneously rather than simply saying throw out one to get the other
0: yeah i think uh i think you're correct about that and you know the the one of the other things that was brought up in that article we mentioned earlier the the the, um the david Hines piece uh political violence is a game the right can't win what he actually went into was like the this diversity of tactics idea it's often just described as like a euphemism for left-wing violence, and that's certainly how it, how it most pertinently emerges, but the idea behind it is that the, the diversity of tactics includes that Antifa does not go riot at the moveon.org rally, okay? They, they don't work at cross-purposes with one another. The, the, the Antifa never act in a way that is detrimental to the electoral prospects of the Democrat Party. And so, like you know, they always act in their favor, which was like, you know, you saw it emerge perhaps most prominently. The thing that stands out in my mind more than anything, I remember while I was, uh, while I didn't have internet access, I was watching the TV, and a video came out where some there was like an anti-mask protest, and like the the Antifa came out and like stabbed a guy, okay? So like, Okay, so you're the anarchists who are like the government should impose mask laws on us. Like, okay, you've exposed yourself as you know a part of the apparatus essentially. But more to the point, like they they're the they're they're the militia of the apparatus. Okay, and so you know the the, the thing that we have, I think the 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 most detrimental pathology in the dissident right is not that they have ideas that are at odds with the Republican Party or that. Um, or that they don't want to participate in politics. It's that there's, you know, people are constantly working at cross purposes with each other. And, that, you know, that emerges in the realm of media personality, you know. The right stuff. What's that?
2: The right stuffed up is. You know, I, I used to listen to them uh, for like 18 months straight. They were my main source of information. I know you might like some of those guys. I'm not going to go too hard on them. What I will say, though, is that they would always see. They would always say, "You know, if you see a Republican doing anything that sounds like uh, it's what we might like, instead of cheering them on, what they said is you should, you know, insult that person for not going harder." And you know, this is of course the exact opposite of what you're promoting now.
0: Yeah, I, I think that I think that what you have just described. I'm not privy to the to the exact wording that they use. So I'm, I'm not lodging a criticism against them out of ignorance. Okay. I don't know, but what you're describing to me is something that I would describe as a, as a pathology, not conducive to effective politics. And I, and I disagree with that. Um, and so I think uh, I, I, I discourage that sort of thing. Um, if somebody, you know, I, I, there's merit to saying like, okay, attack from the right in order to, you know, create, outcomes that are more favorable, you know, there's a place for that. But I don't think that the strategy has been really well refined and the and the evidence that we have is that it doesn't seem to be working out very well um, in us getting our way. And so uh, that might change in the near future. But uh, I think that, you know, we're, we're approaching a presidential election and, you know, the outcome of that election, I would go so far as to say, is not irrelevant. And so. I would hope that um, I hope that whoever ends up winning the Republican primary is not a target of destruction by the dissident, right? Because that is not going to be in our best interest unless you're one of these people who wants to collapse the system. And uh, as we've discussed, I don't think that that's going to work out well for any of us. And so, for those of you who are listening on the archives, uh, thank you very much for downloading. For those of you who participated this evening, thank you very much for participating. Thank all of you for being members, and of course if you're not a member and you've somehow other obtained this some other way, then, um, you know, I'll just remind you that you're stealing from me, but you can make an honest person out of yourself by going to surrealpolitics.com slash join and then you can become a member and then you won't be stealing and you'll be an honest person and then girls will like you, men will respect you, you'll make more money. All all of the things that come along with being an honest, decent person will happen to you if you become a member at join. But of course, very few of you are doing that. So uh, very few of you are stealing from me, I should say. And so in any case, uh, thank you all so, t- so much for tuning in. I will be releasing um, uh, that, that second piece that I read as uh, a separate thing that's not behind the paywall um mm, that's not too relevant uh we'll be back friday for the uncensored production i'm gonna have jf garepi on the uh, uncensored production this friday it's gonna be something to uh definitely see uh i'm looking forward to that monday we'll be back with surreal politics monday wednesday friday ladies and gentlemen we did it before we're doing it again and we will be uh we make it all happen you know we make this stuff work and uh you know if 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 your membership fees are not sufficient for your own satisfaction, you know, if you want to pay more, there's all types of ways you can do that. I take the cryptocurrency, I like that stuff. It's slash donate. will tell you where to get it all to be. Uh, GiveSendGo.com slash SPM, you know. And, uh, you know, whatever it is that brings you happiness and joy and success in life, go ahead and do that. And if you're a happy, successful, joyful person, then people will try to emulate your behavior and that's fundamentally how it works you know you win the election you lose the election you know whatever it's not the not actually the most relevant detail i don't think the, the most important thing is that uh, you know people think it's uh, worth being like you so be somebody that uh, people want to be like and then then you'll get what you want i think we'll
2: see